welcome to the Day Health Strategies podcast, Unlocking Accountable Care, the healthcare podcast where we talk everything value-based care with the top experts in the field. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another podcast episode with Day Health Strategies, Unlocking Accountable Care. I'm your host, Emily George, and we are here today with Jeffrey Syrick of the New England Quality Care Alliance. Welcome to the show, Jeffrey. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about your background? Sure. Uh, I've been doing healthcare since I graduated from business school, so it's a, a lot of years now. I'm almost hesitant to say how many years, but uh, I've been on the insurance side with the Blues here. I was there just when they started the AQC. I've been here at Nequin Tufts Medical Center for the last 11 years. This, I guess this may be 11 years, and prior to that I was at partners and finance. So it's kind of the gambit of traditional hospital finance and the health insurance side of the business and then now the provider network accountable care side. Um, so it's, a, it's, you know, if you find that you never really lose uh, a skill in healthcare, you'll always have a need for it in some way. So it's a, it's a interesting set of skills to have. Not, you know, Liam Neeson type interesting <laughs> set of skills, but Sure. And and tell us a little bit about your role now and what you're what you're currently doing here. Yeah, so I'm the head of uh, contracting and contract finance. So essentially we're the enabling arm of business strategy, right? Mm -hmm. So the if you think about the two sides of contracting is usually you've got the health insurer on one side and the mm -hmm. provider slash hospital system on the other. And you know what what it's our job to do is to take all of the things we're being asked to do by the universe and coalesce them into the best structure that will allow us to achieve our goals and you know match the goals wanted to be achieved by the other side in a framework that makes sense. And these days it's more about taking on risk and being a little more accountable for the total medical expense and the quality of a patient than the old fee-for-service world. So there's a lot of complexity, as you can probably imagine. Sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. And can you tell us a little bit more about NEQA and how it fits into the health system in Massachusetts? Sure. So I'm sure that probably outside of the healthcare system, nobody's even heard of NEQA. Uh, it's not a public-facing brand, but it's really the it started as the physician arm of Tufts Medical Center, and it's grown as uh, the Greater Wellforce System, another brand that probably doesn't have a lot of public cachet, but Wellforce is essentially. Uh, Melrose Wakefield Hospital, Lowell General Hospital, and their associated physicians and Tufts Medical Center and the NEQA network. So it's a little bit more of a system, nowhere near as big as the heavyweights in our market, you know, partners and B.I. Leahy. But, you know, we feel like we fill a niche that is a little more focused on some lower cost areas and a little more heavy Medicaid penetration that's, you know, we've been trying to do the same thing with less for many years, so the idea of accountable care is, oh, it's in our DNA, you know, it's just the, the way we've been doing business at a lower price point for a long time, and now that there's a, an economic value in, in that behavior, um, it's, a, it's a good place to be. Mm -hmm. Well, that's fascinating. Let's dive a little bit more into this idea of um, value-based care, and, and I would love to hear you talk a little bit about what, what do you think are some of the biggest opportunities when it comes to Medicare and Medicaid and commercial contracts? Well, each one of those is very different. Um, 
you know, the and they're different for different reasons, right? I think on the Medicare side, the nature of the the population and the disease states they have um, just is a very different set of medical management opportunities. So you're dealing with a lot of very complicated, high cost patients, adults, all adults, clearly, you know, in volume. Um, and so your strategies for how you would manage the cost of those patients is very different than it would be on the commercial side where, yeah, you still have some chronic conditions, but it tends to be a part of your population and the bulk of your population is, you know, the regular healthy working people and your job is to try to keep them as healthy as possible so they don't become the high cost patients. And that's very different than managing those who are already sick, which have a bigger prevalence in that, that adult side for the over 65. Uh, you know, Medicaid's probably somewhere in the middle because it's that younger population, but they come with a whole different set of comorbid conditions that have to do with a lot of behavioral health. You know, the, and there's been a million studies on the, the, the coordination between behavioral health as a diagnosis and medical diagnosis leading to much, much greater costs. And so if you can manage the person and they're, they're essentially they're, you're uh, if I quote, um, I think it was the New Zealand health system, you're really, you're not managing health costs, you're managing people's lives, right? That's really what the Medicaid world is about, is making sure people just have the basics and it probably will lead to your best outcomes. And that is a totally different set of things that's just kind of coalescing here in Mass. Uh, it's been a very, fra as you can imagine, the Mass health system, very fragmented. Um, but the new ACO experiment that we're in with the Commonwealth where they got a waiver is trying to put a little more systemness back into the healthcare system for the, the folks that are in that bucket so that we can provide them a, a better, just to, I mean, if you're thinking about it as a product, a better product and service than they've been getting. And I think it's working. Um, you know, the, the results are certainly people are being asked to participate in the healthcare system more than they used to be and for their own good and they're, they seem to be incredibly grateful that, that that somebody's out there looking out for them as opposed to just ignoring them and that, you know even if that leads to short-term expenses it's gonna it's probably more beneficial in the long term because mm -hmm. you know you're gonna be if you're taking risk across that whole population and they're gonna be attached to you as a physician it doesn't matter what company they work for if they're in mass health and fortunate enough to get off the rolls and get a job and eventually they're going to be old enough that they're going to be on Medicare and at some point you're, you're going to be if you're at risk across the board you're going to you're going to have their care the whole way so if you think about it holistically it's a it's just a better way to practice. Mm -hmm. What lies ahead for ACOs in the future across the state of Massachusetts? Well we're early in the process I mean I think the biggest problem is that um, there's a question around the, uh, you know, the, the state in trying to guess what the future holds in setting budgets, you know, with all the political realities there are around, you know, healthcare spend and what is actually happening that we're still trying to figure out. Um, you know, it would, uh, it would appear from the early returns that the entire ACO system is pretty heavily underwater, which means I don't think we've quite got it right because it would you know, be hard pressed to say that, you know, we you know, take the position that we, we guess the budget right and everybody's just terrible at management, right? I think the truth 
is there certainly is a lot of improvement that could be made, but in no way are the actual results reflective of you know what what is I think happening on the ground as a as a real number. I mean I don't know if you, the uh, you know as far as two Q nineteen the the entire Model A suite is like one hundred and sixty million dollars in the in the red, mm-hmm. which is just a staggering sum of money through two quarters. Um, that's just more of a a missed guess in terms of expenses. Like we believe trend is going to be this and pharmacy costs are going to be that. And it turns out that it's way more than that. And it's not really a, you know, an expense driver. It's a, we misguessed on revenue, but understanding the reality is that the revenue is a function of the state budget. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, everybody's got, you know, a stake in getting it right because otherwise the health system will just implode Mm-hmm. And then this experiment will go away. Mm-hmm. We don't, I don't think we want that. I think it, there's a better way to do this. Yeah. What ideas do you have about solutions for that? Well, I think a lot of the you know issue is better communication between us and the state. You know, in a way that's um, more two ways, right? As opposed to these are the realities of our budget situation, and this is all the money you're going to get. Healthcare system, which is, I mean, it's kind of felt a little bit that way. Um, and I get it. Like, you know, nobody's, you know, there's no, it's no ax to grind there. It's, it's more of, I get, I get the reality of dealing with, but at the end of the day, that's put, putting the burden on the system just as, is, you know, you're just changing who's paying the bill, right? You're moving from what would be a, essentially a taxpayer solution hard politically to, well, it's not really our problem anymore, but then, how do, you know, uh, the healthcare system just has to get more expensive somewhere else to cover its own costs. To you know, if you're going to lose money over there, unless you, everybody's going to take a pay cut. But I don't you know. It's a it, there's nobody has a magic bullet for it. Um, I think the you know, if you forget the macro level problem that everybody's looking at, you just focus on what are the incremental interventions that are going on. There's been a lot of progress there. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just I mean, we're, we're rebuilding the the connection of the medical and the mental health system from scratch. I mean, I don't think it's any secret that was basically completely uh, discorporated, I guess would be the way to say it. Like, it just went away. You know, there's, uh, there's probably a number of state-run mental health hospitals collecting dust in various towns that are a remnant of the old world that just don't exist at all anymore, and with it went all the services that they used to provide and now we're realizing that was probably a mistake you know as a society like there's a real you know people are beginning to give mental health the due that it was it needed all along to the how it interfaces with the healthcare system and so you gotta you know it takes a while to rebuild it from scratch but the you know every you know i'm a business guy uh, but we start off a lot of our business meetings with patient stories to remind us of like you know the things that we've done that have reconnected the world and made people's lives better and you know to get at the why Mm -hmm. we're doing this and why it matters Mm -hmm. and you know i think that's very helpful Mm -hmm. so along that vein i'm curious you know where do you see um, medicare going and what differences do you see in that compared to what you were just speaking about with medicaid well, I think the the Medicare side, and you know, there are definitely some similarities, but the Medicare side is really a bolus of people with, you know, when you know, age is a 
part of life and but with age comes a lot of chronic conditions which if unmanaged can lead to all kinds of different issues and a lot of expense and so the you know the name of the game there to keep costs down for the medicare population is to be able to attack those chronic conditions and i think for you know nequa we've had a number of physicians who've been doing uh, what I would call uh, the the right version of Medicare Advantage, and you know the distinction I draw there is there are Medicare Advantage plans where the you know a lot of this eh, you know, maybe this is a little jaded, right? So you get the big for profits, they get a big bolus of money from the government, and then they try to pay people as little as possible and throw a bunch of money at their shareholders and. You know, there's not a whole lot of innovation and change there where, you know, and I got to give, you know, Tufts Health Plan a lot of credit here as they, from the word go from 15 plus years ago, they took a different tack to look at more of a percent of premium, like true budget based, the kind of APMs we're talking about now they've been doing forever um, and look at, okay, here's all the money. Well, let's figure out how we take care of this population in the best way possible. And they're a lot more flexible inside the payment systems that people have developed a lot of innovation, but it wasn't for everybody at the time, right? So that you've got a, the, you know, a lot of fast front movers who adopted that and, you know, are very successful at it. But the question is, can it be scaled? And that's the question we're trying to answer now mm-hmm. with the rise of the APMs is can we do that for everybody? Mm-hmm. And then if so, how do you do it in the, the, you know, the most effective way possible with the dollars you have? Because now that everybody's starting to do it, the, you know, eventually as the trend starts to bend, you will have to do it. Because mm-hmm. you know, if everybody's spending less and they're getting more efficient than you and you can't keep up, well, you know, it'll be a little bit of uh, standard survival of the fittest kind of economics. Um, but not, you know, I don't think it's the pace of change is so radical there, um, you know, here in Massachusetts. It's because of the long-term history with some of these products, you know, and a lot of other places where it's just, you know, it was fee-for-service yesterday, and now they're being asked to do this, and their commercial payers never had a risk footing and you know the medicare thing is all new to them it's a, they got a lot more to build um but you know at the same time they don't have any things that they've built that are like the special child that you don't want to abandon because you've been doing it but it might there might be a better way like they don't have any of that you know baggage so that they're like oh, i've got to solve this problem today how would i solve it today versus well this is what we've been doing for the last 10 years and so they, you know, it's pluses and minuses to mm-hmm. both systems, but we, we do we do all right. I mean, we've been pretty successful in Medicare Advantage. We've been extremely successful over the years, and then with Medicare ACOs, Neek was a next gen, which is basically Medicare Advantage without the, you know, private license. It's full risk. Uh, although we cut the government back in on the risk because mm-hmm. uh, I think it's uh, it, it keeps everybody honest that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, you know, that, that I think that's the where everybody's headed. Not everybody's there, clearly, because most of the United States is still MSSP with, you know, limited or no downside or upside only. And, you know, I think the nature of mass is a lot of people are a little further down that curve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So switching gears a little bit, can you discuss a, a bit about the future of commercial contracts within this alternative payment model adoption? Well, yeah. So uh, commercial is really interesting because it's uh, there's a, there's a tale of two worlds there, right? So the, you've got the fully insured world, 
which I would say tends to, well, especially in mass, has been doing a lot of the risk things that the current government programs are just starting to do. And, you know, we've been doing it for 20 years just starting. As it's still been a couple of years since they started. But they've been kind of in that framework. All three big health plans have dealt with risk models in their lives. But I think the interesting thing is with Blue Cross and the AQC, they expanded it into the self-insured world. And self-insured accounts and ERISA accounts have kind of, you know, they haven't, they just have been outside the system, right? For this risk thing, they, they look at claims costs and administrative costs. Like where, where can I get, you know, I'm gonna just cover my own employees and I wanna get the best price point for my own employees. And they, it's not so much about um, a different way yet for them. They've been tr more traditional fee-for-service-ists and looking for the best economic trades, right? And I think they've been dragged into the world of APMs a little bit. And I think, you know, we owe Blue Cross a lot for that um, to get them to realize, no, there are, there are reasons why you'd want to pay for quality and efficiency that have nothing to do with claims because the overall claims costs should moderate or go down. And I mean, is the theory being proven out? Um, you know, has it uh, has it worked out that way for them in all of Massachusetts? Maybe not, right? I mean, we, you know, the public data would say that, uh, you know, the most expensive systems continue to grow and the lower cost systems, you know, at their expense. So the market forces would say otherwise. But I think, you know, same store to same store, you know, we, you know, we've been pretty successful. It's a question of like the market around us is still seems to price is not an object for them. And, you know, the verdict's still out on that. Mm -hmm. Economies, of course, super successful. So you usually find out how people care about things in a down economy mm -hmm. <laughs> versus an expanding economy. So we'll see. I mean, those are cyclical. Mm -hmm. It'll happen again. Uh, it's just you know, but I, I think in terms of a general framework, if you're going to operate in a population health way, albeit slightly different things that you're working on to keep the populations going for Medicare and Medicaid, well, that's more than 50 percent of everybody's business. Um, well, certainly more than 50 percent of ours. Um, so that if you're going to work that way for half your business, and then the commercial side, you you got half again. The fully, the fully insured side is definitely in that bucket for the most part. Well, now it's three quarters of your business. Nobody's going to run a business totally differently for a quarter of their business than they do for three quarters of their business. So it's a question of, okay, well, you got to drag those last remaining people into your world and because it's just the way you do business now as opposed to back up a couple of years and it was you know, still so much fee-for-service that it, you weren't going to change all of your processes and now I think we're at that tipping point where everybody's starting to do that mm -hmm. and a little, everybody's a little bit differently far along that curve mm -hmm. <laughs> well it's all it, this is it, this is so interesting and I, I'm curious like what you would say then about that small small percentage of the uninsured and your thoughts about um, how do we deal with them and and what are some solutions in that regard Wow. So the, in Matt, I mean, that is really, I guess as a, a backup from the cold statistics, you know, point of view and, you know, a lot less 
you know, dehumanize it a bit. I mean, I don't know if you can get everyone, mm -hmm. right? Like the, you know, but in mass, we've done a pretty good job from a combination of things, you know, from regulation on down to the way the system operates of trying to gather everybody up in the system and that you really are dealing with the fringes here, which is very different from a number of other places in the country. Um, but, but I think you're at that point where, you know, how much extra resource and capital do we want to really deploy to pick up that last quarter of a percent where that same amount of money could be spent helping, I think, you know, this is a theory, a much greater number of people inside the folks that are already there. Um, you know, I think if we had, you know, 10% uninsured, I'd be saying something very different. But, you know, you get to the point where, you know, what's that, that next set of incremental folks to, you know, rope in the, the, the people who've been playing on the outside versus helping the people you can. And then eventually, you know, there are, there are avenues for the people on the outside to figure out how to get into the system. I don't know if there's too many people left behind because they're unaccounted for. I think most of the people who are uninsured are there either through choice or circumstance that some other reality, whether it's, you know, undocumented immigrants or some other thing that might be preventing them from, you know, being included in the system that there's no good solution for until we find a solution for the, the actual problem itself at the, at the governmental level. And then, then all the things that go downstream of that you know, can be helpful. But I mean, that's really where I think we're at with the uninsured in this state. Of course, very different if you went to Texas mm -hmm. or, you know, somewhere where it's a little more like the Wild West. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it's really helpful. And, you know, we've talked about several different things about what Nick was doing and, and some of the work that you're doing. And I would just say for our last question, I'm curious, um, what's next and what are some of the things that you are thinking about, planning for, solutions that you're tossing around? Sure. Yeah, I think what's next is that uh, it's about getting more standardization into the business process. So you've got, you know, three sets of experiments organized slightly differently if we use the Medicaid, Medicare commercial world of like, how are we going to address moving from fever service to population health? And they all had their own, you know, little tweak on it or lens on it, which, you know, creates a a number of different processes, but a lot of them have common elements. And yet, you know, it's it's change, you know, like all things, change is hard. It's like, well, we did this and it was working. It's like, well, but it might not be as applicable for this thing. And if we tweaked it, it might be a little less applicable for Medicaid, but it will be applicable for the other two. And if we just did it that way, you'd capture the broader set of people at a, at, at a much, you know, you're getting standardization and scale and much lower price point. It's just more effective. And that's challenging, you know, especially for us where we have a lot of small practices. Uh, it's not the big monolithic employed models, which, you know, I'm not saying bad things. It's they, they have a different way of looking at it because they're, you know, to them it's, uh, you know, it's a salary and resource expense versus a bunch of fragmented revenue and salary and resources expense across the, you know, you're trying to steer a, a flotilla of ships as opposed to one ship with a lot of people on it. Um, and it's a little different because uh, you got to convince them that you got to give that, you know, I know what you're doing and I know what you built is your office practice, but 
we're here to tell you that like if we, we need to do it a different way in order to be more effective across the whole book and it's just not you know it's a, it's a longer message to get across um, because of the just the nature of there's so much in the day-to-day -day weeds of it's like now you're telling me I gotta do something different but and trust you and that it's gonna be better on the other side you know it's tougher to tougher to effectuate that but I think we're coming along mm -hmm. um, I mean because that's the goal is you want it repeatable you want to find all of those interventions that are scalable and repeatable so that you can benefit the most people with the least amount of cost mm -hmm. um, I mean that's the name of the game mm -hmm. right Wow, so helpful and so interesting just to hear a little bit more about the projects you're involved in and the way you see the future going and the different solutions that you guys have been thinking about. Is there anything else that you want to share before we close our podcast for today? Uh, yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I think everybody, you know, I wouldn't be the first person who said this. We'll see how the federal election goes to be the bellwether for whether we're going to do something different. Or, and it could be either way, right? More expansive at the federal level, more coordinated or more decentralized. And, you know, I'm not, you know, I guess time will tell, you know, which, which one um, will have an effect. Uh, I think in Massachusetts, we're a little bit insulated because the state will always be a partner in this and we'll find ways to, you know, I think it's, I think the population health is here to stay. I think it's the right thing to do. Uh, it just it makes sense on so many levels. It's just trying to get the barriers from the current system out of the way, so that you can operate in the in the new world with more efficiency. And it'll take a while. Um, I think there'll be a lot of inefficiency while while we get there, which is unfortunate because usually inefficiency, you know, doesn't play well in the in the annals of the regulator like it's just, but that's just the reality you can't flip the switch and change the system overnight but you know let's hope they stick stick with it at a moderate pace um, that can actually be adopted mm -hmm. like to think of it as uh, old school you know Deming type you know economics just small incremental change over time mm -hmm. as opposed to just radically you know reinventing things and then two years later radically reinventing it again sure. yeah so that's my story i'm sticking to it good well thank you so much for being on our show today jeffrey you're very welcome happy to do it If you are interested in learning more about accountable care or how organizations can succeed in today's healthcare system, please visit our website, www.dayhealthstrategies.com, check out our blog, follow us on Twitter, and join our mailing list. We regularly post content relevant to current healthcare issues and overcoming challenges in delivering value-based care. Unlocking Accountable Care is a production of Day Health Strategies. Direction and editing by Max Blumenthal. Additional support and research by Emily Eibel and Nico Lehman. Our producer is Rosemary Day. A special thanks to Purple Planet Music for the use of their songs.